Welcome to the Table Leadership Podcast, where everyone is invited to pull up a seat, and all leaders have a voice to contribute to the conversation. We're glad you could join us today. And now, your host, Sian Edgerton. And so I just want to welcome everyone that is listening right now. I want to introduce to you a friend of mine, Pastor Kevin Swan. I was actually introduced to him through my former senior pastor, um, good friend, boss, mentor of mine, Freddie Villarreal, who we had. He was actually the very first guest at the Table Leadership Podcast. So super excited to get to bring in more from that network. And so I just want to say thank you so much. I just want to welcome you here to the table. I know that our listeners are just going to be blessed by what you bring, um, just a wealth of wisdom and expertise, and I just can't wait to share it. So thank you so much for being here with us. This is fantastic, and and we certainly miss you here on the on the East Coast, but uh, oh. glad that you're doing well, glad that the podcast is going well, and glad to be here. Thank you so much. I miss you guys, too. I do. Um, I think I miss Mango Mango more than anything. Oh, yeah. Here? In Phoebus? Yeah. Yes. <laughs> yes. We're doing a partnership with them and doing a feeding. So they actually do our community feeding. And so we get them to do like 500 meals and we we Whoa. give them out to the community. So can you imagine how good the community's eating right now? Yes, oh my gosh, Mango Mango is, that is up there. Like my top three favorite. Oh. Like yes. of all time. Yes. <laughs> that's Absolutely. awesome. That yeah. what an amazing service you guys are doing for the community too. That that's just beautiful, being the hands and feet. And so with that in mind, um, take a second and first just introduce yourself to our listeners, um, who you are, where you're from, what you do, you know, just give them a little idea of, of who they're hearing from today. Yeah. So Kevin Swan, I'm a native of Hampton, Virginia. Whoop. I've been uh, pastoring uh, well, in ministry, let me just say, for 23 years and um, pastoring for 14 years at Ivy Baptist Church here in Newport News. Time is flying by. Um, been married also for 23 years. So true story. So I got married in May of 97. And in June of 97, the very next month, I did my initial sermon. So it's been wow. ministry ever since. Um and so we have two beautiful children. Our daughter Cameron, who is 19, she's a she's now a sophomore officially at George Mason. And uh, we have a son, Cole, who is 16. He's now officially a junior at Hampton High School. And so um, we have a never a dull moment in our house. Um, always on the go, but very passionate about family. Uh, I'm a I'm a sports enthusiast. I played basketball in high school and college. So a lot of what I do in ministry is really still related to sport. I see myself as a coach in many respects. So um, I take those lessons that I learned in sport and I apply it to ministry and, and into life. And that's about who I am. That's awesome. And can you talk a little bit about, because this is really our main connection point, the Virginia Unity Project. Can you just kind of give us a little um, just overview of what that project is that you guys initiated a few years ago now, right? Yeah, so we started it in 2016, and mm -hmm. ironically, it started because of the unrest that we saw in our community as it related to police-involved shootings. And there mm -hmm. was one in Newport News that took place, and there was some outcry from the community. An African-American uh, teenager was shot and killed. And so from that, some faith leaders gathered together, and we said, hey, we needed to do something to bring community close together. Um, and so the Virginia Unity Project was started. 
and uh, it has grown. We now have about 50 uh, pastors and faith leaders who are connected to us. Uh, from the inception, we did uh, forums and we brought people together. Since then, we continue to do worship nights because what we realize is that we got to build bridges in two places. The first in the community, but also in the church, there needs to be bridges that are built. So that's really our focus and, and drawing people and just bringing people to, to the table like your your podcast suggests. And it's been great so far. Still a lot of work to be done, yeah. um, but we have seen progress. That's awesome. That's amazing. I love that. And if somebody was local on the East Coast and they wanted to get connected with what you guys are doing, how's, what's the best way for them to do that? Because I know we do have a lot of East Coast listeners. Yeah, so um, you can go to our Facebook page. It's probably the best place. Uh, and that's VA Unity Project. And uh, certainly follow us there. And uh, we, we regularly post what we're doing. Uh, we do plan on having another uh, I know a lot of people are doing marches right now and, and prayer mm -hmm. walks. and all. We're going to have a prayer night that's coming up in July where we're just going to take some time and bring people together and show the unity that in the body of Christ, it should not be based on color. We're going to have a worship time, just praying for our nation. A lot of things that's happening. So you can look that up on our Facebook page, VA Unity Project. And we'll link all of that in the show notes, too. So anybody that's in the Virginia Hampton Roads area um, that's interested in just learning more, definitely check out the show notes and we'll link everything in there. Yep. Awesome. So, OK, the first question um, that I always ask everybody, because when we're pulling up a seat at the table, of course, leadership matters, but uh, food matters, too. And that's that's one of my great loves in life. So if we were gathered together with a group of leaders right now to pour into them and invest in them and we weren't virtual, but we were live, what would you be feeding us? So you just mentioned mango mango, right? I mean, yeah. you know, so, so how could we go wrong with Mango Mango, right? For people who don't know, I mean, that place is fantastic. So I typically like at Mango, my favorite dish is the shrimp and grits. So I'm a shrimp yes. and grits, right? Mm -hmm. But the other day I had some of their lobster macaroni. I don't know if you've ever had that. It I is, had not tried that one. It is delicious. But so so to answer your question, if, if there was a group of leaders, it would depend really, right? Because would I want to get restaurant food or what I, now my wife, so I'm an Italian guy. I like, I like pastas and, and all mm -hmm. that kind of thing. So my wife makes this amazing baked spaghetti. And so if I wasn't going to mango mango, I probably would say, Hey babe, could you make this? Uh, because it is so good. Uh, and so I probably would do one or the other. Yum. I love it. Have you tried the, uh, is it the Hampton crab cake at mango mango? Is that what they call it? Yes. My wife is a big seafood. I, I'll admit I'm not a big seafood eater. So shrimp okay. is really about as far as I go. Uh, but my wife, she loves crab cakes. And I know, I think she had it the last time we were there. And yeah. so we enjoyed it too. I think it's the Hampton Benedict, maybe. They make like egg Benedict with a crab cake. It's good. Their yeah. shrimp and grits is by far the best shrimp and grits that I've ever, oh. ever had. It's delicious. So good. And, uh, yeah. So oh, that's awesome. The owners, Lakeisha, I don't know if you know Lakeisha. She's yeah. the owner. I tell her all the time, I'm coming in. You just need to have me some on the side. Just have yep. me some ready. ready yep. It's delicious. Yep. It's funny. And anyone that's been listening to the podcast for a while, um, you know, when I, do you know Chris House? I do. Chris and Shanika. So they've both been on as guests. And uh, there was someone else. Oh, my friend um, Tamise from HU was on as a guest. And everybody that's from Hampton, when I ask this question, this is always where we end up going and talking about is mango mango. So I'm sure our listeners... <laughs> I'm tired of hearing about it now, but I'm telling you, it's worth going to uh, Phoebus, Virginia. It is. And they, they have expanded, I guess. I don't know if you know. Now they, 
they have um, like a little banquet uh, facility now. Um, and so they, they really are revitalizing the Phoebus area. It's, it's great to That's see. Awesome. And, uh, yeah, so hopefully some other restaurants will come down there. We can have a real nice section of, of, of eateries down there. Yeah, well, I can't wait to come back and visit. Yeah. For sure. Um, okay, so now the real meat of our conversation, obviously, is in this season at least, what is it that you feel like you bring to the leadership table? So in this particular time, leadership is is most important. I mean, if you look at what's happening in our in our country with all the first of all the pandemic, and then secondly, with the racial tensions, um, if ever there was a time that you needed leadership, is now. Mm-hmm. So I know that in these moments, as a leader, crises always also presents opportunities. Mm-hmm. So the one thing I would say is what I bring to the table is. First of all, leaders have to model effective leadership in times of crises. And the first thing you have to do is to remain calm because most people are taking their cues from you. So mm-hmm. if we're out frantic and emotional, um, then others will follow suit. And that's not to say that we should not be outraged. It's not to say that we shouldn't be frustrated. I am very frustrated, mm-hmm. but I'm also looking at the opportunities. And one of the opportunities that has taken place in all of this is that there's been greater dialogue that I've had with other leaders, um, other pastors who are not black. Um, And we're able to have conversations that probably I've never had before. And so you you tend to look for those moments. And I think for me, what I value and what I bring to the table as a leader is really helping or trying to help and empower other leaders. Mm -hmm. Because what I have discovered, and I'm sure you can attest being, being in ministry and work, Leaders can't share all of their private stuff with everybody, right? You know, leaders yeah. can't go to everybody. And while you're used to pouring out into others, who's pouring into you, right? Yeah. Who's helping you? Who's holding you accountable? Who's helping you to say, hey, what's going on behind the scenes? How's your family doing? How are your kids doing? And I think that's, for me, what is most gratifying. And I'm able to make that connection with other leaders on a personal level, not just a professional level. Yeah, that's fantastic. You mentioned so many things just in that that I kind of want to hit on and circle back to. And so one of the things I want to ask, I know you talked about the importance of remaining calm. You know, the I love, um, I'm not sure who said it first, but I heard it from my friend, Jo Sexton, but she always talks about how the world needs leaders who are a non-anxious presence. And so that's obviously such a huge part of it. But when we think about leading in a time of crisis, like we are right now, I know for so many people, the entire landscape of leadership has changed because of the pandemic and organizations are shut down and churches are having to figure out how are we now navigating with our online, you know, small groups and just so many different things. And so when you are leading in the midst of global change and crises, in addition to remaining calm, what are some of the other skills that we can grow and employ in order to actually lead effectively in those moments? Yeah, so that's a great question. Um, You know, you definitely have to maintain uh, the mission. And and this is why vision and mission of your organization is so important. You as the leader, if nothing else, is the one that is responsible for the culture of your organization, right? Mm -hmm. So in the case of a church, it, what you just described with the pandemic, we haven't had a church service since the second weekend in March. Wow. And when I did a survey the other day, our congregants are saying, look, we're good until the fall. Mm. So we had to make a decision 
Saturday night at six o'clock before the Sunday to, to say we can't have service. And it's been changed ever since. Well, as I've been trying to explain to our, our congregation, the mission of our church has not changed. Mm-hmm. It's still to love, to grow, and to serve. We kind of reduced it in those three terms. But now how we go about doing it has to change. And this is where leadership becomes most valuable. Because if you continue down a path that no longer works, but mm-hmm. is comfortable for you, you're going to end up alone. Mm-hmm. And what we see is this is the case, not just in church, but this is the case in leadership in general. You look at businesses. If businesses don't know how to adapt and shift on the fly, if they continue with a model that does not work, they're going to be bankrupt. And so I would say that what's most important in times like this is you still have to maintain your mission. What is your organization about? What is it supposed to be doing? But it may not be doing it the way you used to do it. Mm-hmm. And that's where people get most anxious because that requires change. That requires a different mindset. That requires your teams having to reevaluate what you're doing. And I think that's been the most stressful part of all of this is the complete reevaluation on the fly of mm-hmm. how we have to do it. But again, mission should never change. So as long as people understand that, and in the case of Christ, the message of Christ never changes. The gospel still must be preached. People must still be saved. People must still be added to the kingdom. But now how we do it in this age, in this time, may have to be different. So your methods are going to change, Mm -hmm. but your mission should never change. Are there any specific things that you try to do or keep in mind when we talk about the idea of leading change? Because that's that's difficult just in and of itself, leading change is. But then we talk about leading change as the result of a crisis like we're facing right now. Um, when we're considering those that we are leading, those that are following us, how do we lead change well? What are some of the things that we can do to um, ensure calm, like you said, and confidence, and to really get everybody on board to understand this is the direction we're going in now. I know it's new. I know it's different. I know it might be a little bit scary, but what are some, just a couple things that we can do to lead change really effectively and to honor our people in the midst of that? So number one, you have to be honest and transparent. Mm-hmm. Um, so in the midst of, of our changes, you know, even though we haven't had services in person, I've been very honest and direct online and other other ways to communicate to the congregation look here's where we are mm-hmm. um if anybody's asking me when can we come back to serve i can't tell you that and i think there's there's value in just people wanting to know the truth mm-hmm. right and so this is what builds equity you know what i call equity this is what builds capital amongst the people that you're leading is simply being honest if you don't have the answer just say you don't have the answer Right. And this also speaks to teams, right? The people that you employ or are with you to also help you to carry that message. So those are the two things I would say are really most important. As you stand before the people in crises, you can be honest about the fact, hey, listen, we know we have to make some changes. I've said to the congregation in some of our leadership, we already know that what we did before mm-hmm. Corona hit as a worship service and what we may not ever come back. Yeah. You have to be transparent with people and at least give them that so that they can understand and prepare themselves for the change. And then you have to have people that you trust 
that can also carry that message for you because I've mm -hmm. learned people don't always come back to me. Sometimes yeah. they come back to people closer to me. Mm -hmm. And it's important that the people closest to me are still saying the same message that I'm saying. Yeah. Do you feel like, um, so I know so many leaders and pastors that I work with and that I coach, you know, they're in the midst of this and they're, you know, frustrated and they're tired. And there's this whole conversation of when things will get back to normal. But you know, I think you kind of just alluded to the fact that we're probably not going back to what things were. I mean, this is literally going to be a, a moment in history where we're able to look at everything before and everything after this moment. And it's changing. It's changing the landscape of how we do business. It's changing the landscape of how we do church. It's changing everything. And so in the midst of all of the questions and confusion and so many unknowns and the frustration, I would love to be able to give the leaders who are listening a little bit of hope. And so from your experience, and because I know you're a visionary can you kind of maybe just prophetically project a little bit what are some of the things that you see that are changing that might actually be fresh and good and what are some of the benefits of us coming out of this season that that we as leaders um, can actually grab onto and say wow what happened obviously was horrible and we would never have wanted that for our society but Here's how we're seeing possibility for greater kingdom advancement. And let's grab onto the hope of that. I'm glad you asked that question. Um, and the reason why is because right now, everything is on the table mm -hmm. in terms of what you do. And if I could be completely transparent, a lot of times pastors and leaders are sometimes stuck in cultures of tradition mm -hmm. and customs and what we have always done. Mm -hmm. And in this season, clearly, what you have always done is not going to work now, right. right? So what you have is really, in some cases, a blank slate to redefine who you are and who you really want to be. And, and that's, the, that's the silver lining in this. Now, again, that requires some measure of thought and willingness to change. But if you embrace that, for example... What we know now is that on Sunday mornings, we see and, and there are far more people that connect to us on Sunday mornings for our worship service now than they ever have with us coming in the building. Yeah. We know now that we're touching people and people are literally joining our church who are in California, who are in Florida, who are in other places, people who are streaming us from out of the country. But we didn't really have, we had some impact in that area, but it has magnified since we have had to go strictly online. So now when we come back, what we also have to realize is that when you come back, that doesn't mean that everybody's going to come back to the doors through the doors of the church, which means now you have to look at who's in your building and you have to look at who's not in your building. And you have to create ministry opportunities for people who may never step foot through the doors of your church. That's exciting, yeah. or it should be, because now the gospel and the footprint of your ministry can reach people in places that it could never have done had we just focused squarely on who's coming through our doors. Mm -hmm. So there is hope uh, in that regard. There, there is greater possibility for ministry if you embrace the fact, as I said earlier, that mission doesn't change. Yeah. It's only the methods that have to change. And if you say, okay, I'm going to change one method here, 
change one method there, but it's still all about Christ, all about him crucified, all about salvation, then you can see differences in your ministry and even in leadership. Yeah, that's good. I feel like just that right there, you being able to speak with that kind of energetic hope is is just going to um, just resonate with some of our listeners just to hear, you know what, there is opportunity in this. There's actually great opportunity for us. We're forced into this place of having to think about things in ways that we've never had to think about them before. And as challenging as that may be, the incredible invitation in it is just it's a good thing. So I love that you spoke to that. And if I could add to that, this yeah. is the mission of Christ. It's the great commission of going into all the world. Mm -hmm. um, what we also know is that in Acts, the gospel was spread because of persecution and change, right? It says in Acts chapter eight, very clearly that had it not been for the fear of the Romans coming in and because the Jews were afraid, they scattered and they went abroad and they took the gospel with them. So sometimes it takes difficult moments to force us to come out of our habits and our comfort zones, to look at ministry different, to look at how we do things, but that's all for the benefit of Christ because now we are touching people all over the world as opposed to just focusing on who's coming to our doors. That's so good. That's so good. And that's exciting. That's exciting to me to Very think exciting. about where, you know, what is a year from now, five years, 10 years from now, what is the church? What is the kingdom of God going to look like here on earth as a result of the, the leadership initiatives that we were forced to start taking because of COVID? But there is a flip side, unfortunately, that for those who don't choose to embrace this, mm. unfortunately, there may be some churches that close. Yeah. Um, because you, you, and for all of the churches who are technology adverse before this, mm -hmm. hopefully now you see the value of it now and realize that in going forward, you have to have it. So let me just give, encourage some pastor, some faith leader who has not been technology adverse just in this moment. Just look at McDonald's. McDonald's has always been a burgers and fries establishment. That's what we mm -hmm. know it for, right? You see the yep. golden arches. And by the way, I'm a French fry lover too. So you asked me who would, what would I have at the table? I probably have some French fries. He's a French fry connoisseur. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I have some French fries somewhere, right? But, but whenever you go to McDonald's, you know it's primarily known as burgers and fries. But if you've gone in there lately, you would notice that they have cappuccinos, frappuccinos, they have salads, they have mm -hmm. everything. But at the core of who they are, they're still burgers and fries. So what am I trying to say to the to the faith leader? You can still be who you are, but you have to add a few things to your menu. Yeah. And as you add a few things to your menu, it doesn't change the essence of who you are. It just attracts a wider audience of people so you don't go out of business. Mm. And that's really what God is saying for the church to do. Always be about me. But maybe you have to widen your menu to appeal to a different group of people, a different audience, so that I can be glorified in the earth. It's not our church, y'all. It's his. And it's our responsibility to take it to the world, not covet it based on my own personal opinions. And that's the one thing if I could add in a leadership position, I tell our leaders all the time, as a pastor, this is not my church. So my preferences don't always matter. What matters is what's going to yield itself to be beneficial to souls being saved and people being added to the kingdom. 
So we've changed our dress code. We've changed our music style. We've changed, not always because I've liked it, but because I understand in the time and the people that we're trying to attract, I have to do those things. Mm -hmm. And so I want to encourage a pastor or a faith leader to hear that because it's still Jesus. It's just yeah. packaged in a little bit different way. Yeah, that's good. And I, I got chills. I feel like, um, I feel like that was definitely a prophetic word for somebody. And so I know that I know that's resonating and somebody needed to hear that. So thank you for tacking that on. Sure. Um, one of the things I want to circle back to, you talked about the importance of being a calm, non-anxious, anxious presence as a leader, especially right now. And so I want to ask, what are some kind of two different questions that I have? One is on a personal level when it comes to just your own soul care and your own mental, emotional, spiritual health. What are some of the practices that you engage in to keep yourself in a calm, steady, hopeful place? And then my other question, and you can decide, you know, how you want to answer these and which one you want to kind of hit on first is um, talk to me about the importance of doing the soul care work so that we can stay in a healthy place so that our message is received well. Cause you talked about, and now, you know, I'm, I'm thinking specifically about some of the racial tensions in these conversations, right? Where you're angry, you're frustrated. Absolutely. You should be. And I think I want to ask you, especially as a black man in America who has a huge leadership platform and a voice of influence. And on the one hand, the human side of us is angry and frustrated and mad and pissed off and fearful and all these other things. But at the same time, you have people that are looking to you. And so you want to be authentic and transparent, but you also want the message to be heard. And so how do you navigate and, and what's just maybe some of the mindsets that you keep in mind so that you can use your voice of influence and your platform well, um, not to downplay anything at all, because we shouldn't be downplaying anything, but to make sure that what you're actually trying to communicate gets received. How do you go about doing that? Yeah, so I'll answer your your first question first is, mm -hmm. is how do you take care of yourself? Um, you know, that in this time with two real crises happening at the same time, it can definitely yeah. be and feel overwhelming. And you really do have to be very intentional about how you spend your time. Mm -hmm. Like even like what we're doing now, we find ourselves on constant Zoom in meetings and all, and, and you have to find time even to get away from that. And even though you can't go as many places and all of that kind of thing, you really also have to find ways to just check out of it. So I have done more disconnecting from TV and social media in this time than I ever have. Um, and it's been helpful to me. I read sometimes just to keep my mind centered. I go for walks. I have a dog. So, you know, we go on walks. I ride a bike. I'm a cyclist by, by heart now. I can't play basketball anymore. So I ride quite a bit. I think those are the things that kind of free my mind away from it so that by the time I come back to it, I can still be fresh and want to go about doing the work. Having said that, as a black man in America, you're right. There are times where, you know, being calm is not really what you feel, right? Mm -hmm. And even in scriptures, Jesus said, well, the scriptures say, be angry, but sin not. So being angry is not a sin or a wrong is what we do. Mm -hmm. as a result of our anger, that is the issue. 
And I have admitted, just like you said, I've told our congregation, I'm pissed off right now. I'm hot. I'm excited. So that, that honesty piece that I have with them. But here's what I know, too. I know that to your point, because of the platform that I have, many people are coming to me, um, asking me privately, many white, how should I handle this? And, and what should I do? And if I come off angry and emotional in those moments, I have missed an opportunity to build a bridge, to be able to walk people through a process, maybe help you to see it from a perspective that you haven't seen before. And I have found that that has made a lot of people very appreciative of the fact that I'm in their life now, you know, that we can have that kind of talk and relationship. And I'm not going to come at you. I'm not going to blame you, but we're going to walk through it together to help you to see what I see uh, and help you to make the changes in your respective area. So I think that for me, that's how I've been able to do it. Now, Mm -hmm. unfortunately, everybody doesn't have the same platform that I have. And this is where you do see the riots and the looting and the protests. So what I would say is that everybody has to find their voice, but find it in a way that leads more to impact. Because here again, a protest is great, just like a Sunday service can be great. But there's some similarities between the two because sometimes we focus too much on emotion. So after we've gotten you emotionally hyped up and emotionally charged, what happens after that, right? Are you going to vote as a result of this, right? So that's how I look at it, right? I'm glad you're protesting. I'm glad there's so many people walking the streets. Are you going to walk to the polls now and make sure that we have the right people in place, right? So Mm -hmm. to me, I, I tend to look beyond just the emotional moment. I think people are upset and angry and rightfully so. Mm-hmm. But until that anger leads to action, then we're going to keep staying in the same place. And that's not what we want. I love the parallel that you drew between the church and the protest and just the idea of emotions being triggered. But will it actually lead us to action, to effective right. action? That's that's really good. And how many times do we leave church and we say, oh, we had a great time in church, the spirit moved and we felt emotional, mm-hmm. but did that lead to any transformation in your life? Did that really right. lead you looking to say, I want to do that's That to me is why I'm in this. I'm in this beyond the emotional moment. I want to see action and transformation mm-hmm. in our communities mm-hmm. and in the body of Christ. So let me ask, how would you coach someone? Because I know you said that's that's kind of the role that you play as coach. So for someone who says, look, I am, and, and I guess I'm specifically speaking to um, white people right now, but for someone who says, look, my eyes are being opened. I want to do something. I want to um, have an impact. I want to use my voice and my platform and my influence. I was just talking, um, you know, Alvian, right? Isn't she part of the yes. BUP? Alvian Lyons? Yes. Yeah. So she was just on the podcast a couple weeks ago and, yes. uh, and we were talking through this same thing. You know, one of the things that I see, um, with a lot of the people that I'm working with is the first place that we tend to go is social media. And I'm not saying that's a bad thing because it is a platform and obviously we have to use it wisely and use it well and effectively. But what ends up happening is they're wanting to say something, they're wanting to speak out, they're wanting to affect change, and that's great. But what usually ends up happening on social media is that it just turns into a really ignorant argument with people that they don't even have relationship with. And so I've talked to a lot of my friends and said, look, 
let's find some other ways for you to engage. I'm not saying this is bad and this is a platform that can be used and that's great, but you have permission to not engage with every Joe Schmo out there on the internet that you don't even have relationship with because they're not looking for a conversation. They're not looking to be educated. This is just, this is just a debate at this point. Um, and so what are some ways, and I love you mentioned the polls, right? Let's get out and let's vote. So for someone who is entering into this world of racial reconciliation, who really wants to be used, what are some of the first few steps, some of the basic things that they can potentially look to involve themselves in? I think that's the question that I get most from people is, I don't know what to do. What do I do? Point me in the right direction and I'll do it. So what would you say to that? Yeah, so those are the same questions I was getting from some of the white leaders who called me and said, hey, mm -hmm. I'm over this organization. I don't know what to do. Yeah. The first thing you have to do is you have to speak out against what you see. That That's mm -hmm. the first step. And let me tell you why. Because we in the African-American community, if you don't speak out, then we can't really determine what side of the fence you're on, right? Mm -hmm. Are you Are you for this? Are you against this, right? So the first thing is, however you tend to, to lend your voice is to say, if that is wrong, then it's wrong, right? Mm -hmm. and, and what we know is that because of the majority and minority in our country, right? And blacks have had to assimilate into white America. Mm -hmm. um, that's how it's been for us since we arrived, right? But whites have not had to assimilate into black America. Right. So in order to appreciate what we're going through, it will require, in this case, some level of listening, some level of understanding what the minority goes through and how the majority impacts that. Mm -hmm. You see, because for us, ever since we have arrived here in America, we've never been seen as people. Mm -hmm. We've been seen as commodities. Yeah. We were brought here as property and so the notion of simply moving from that to now we're on the same level right which means that you all will have to have some probably some difficult conversations amongst yourselves as well mm -hmm. right within your families um i've had this as well that so many whites have come to me and say hey um i know what i see is wrong but i have a father i have a brother i have a cousin who sees it completely differently yeah and so we know that racism is not a not a inherent behavior it's it's taught mm -hmm. right so there has to be some dialogue on this not just between white and black but there also has to be some dialogue between white and white about yes. what is right how we're going to proceed will that mean that there may be some falling out i, I hope not but you all will have to make that decision about what you feel is most important. Mm -hmm. Standing for what is right, or sometimes your family, and sometimes there is a great tension there, right? Because we know that not everybody sees it the same way. In the same way that me as a black person has to stand up in my own community and say, we have to stop shooting and killing each other, mm -hmm. right? We have to stop shooting each other where 90% of the homicides in Hampton Newport News is from one black person to another. And if I'm going to say that police brutality is wrong, then I also have to say that what we do to each other is wrong. 
And there are people in our community that don't want to hear that. Yeah. But again, which side am I going to stand on for what is truth and what is justice or what I want to do to please a group of people? And I think all of us, black and white, we have to have those type of difficult conversations. Mm-hmm. That's good. Um, so much of what you're saying is just hitting my heart right now. And what I want to, the, the final thing that I want to ask you before we wrap up, kind of in the same way that you spoke to the hope of what you're seeing with the COVID situation and all the change and the, the landscape of leadership looking different, and yet there was opportunity. And I think that was a, a really kind of just a beautiful prophetic word that you were able to speak into that, you know, for us as leaders to grab onto, there is opportunity here. So yes, let's continue to, to adapt to this change. And so that hope was good. Can you in the same way and not to, not to make light of or gloss over anything, because I think we need to never become numb to the reality of the brutality and the injustice that is happening. And obviously this is an ongoing thing, but as believers, I think at a certain point we have to see that there is hope. And so what do you see as a leader, as a leader of faith, as a black man in America, in the different spheres of influence that you're in, what hope can you give us to grab onto as we continue to take one step at a time in this work of racial reconciliation? So as a pastor, my hope is in Christ. That's, that's the only hope that we have, right? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, Christ is the one that brings us all together. Recently, we celebrated Pentecost, right? Mm-hmm. Well, what is Pentecost? It was the celebration of the promise of the Holy Spirit that Jesus said would come right after he ascended to heaven. And Pentecost, on the day of Pentecost, it tells us in Acts chapter two, that the believers were able to speak in other known languages, that there were people from every dialect, every every race, every tribe that were there in, in Jerusalem for a reason. And in that moment, the Holy Spirit enabled the believers to speak in various languages and ethnicities, praising God in their own native tongue. And it caused people to be wondering, how could this be, right? So my hope to connect to you is not based on ethnicity, it's based on our connection to God. That's the spirit is what brings us together. And that is my hope. I shared this with um, our congregation the other day. When I was young in, in elementary school, I struggled with adding and subtracting fractions. Couldn't understand it. The teacher said, Kevin, it's simple. All you have to do is find the common denominator. When you find the common denominator, then everything else lines up. So now two thirds and and three fourths, when you find the common denominator, everything makes sense. The Holy Spirit is our common denominator. And so everything that we see, racism and bigotry, is because that is demonic. Mm -hmm. And you cannot solve spiritual problems with earthly solutions. Mm -hmm. Jesus said, if I be lifted up, I'll draw all men and women to me. So if you ask me, where's the opportunity? The opportunity is, this is the greatest time ever in my lifetime, and maybe yours, for the church to be the church. Mm-hmm. And I'm not talking about the building, I'm talking about the people of God to model what it looks like for everybody to come together and be connected to that one spirit 
and unbelievers can see that and want to be a part of it. Amen. Amen. You know, I, Alvy and I were just talking about this uh, a few weeks ago is, how often we make this a systemic issue or a political issue or a cultural issue. And it is obviously, yeah, it's political. Yes, there's systemic you know, issues that we need to solve and all of this. But more than anything, it's a kingdom issue. And as long as it's a kingdom issue, that means that the body of Christ bears the greatest burden of responsibility, not our political leaders and not our officers. The body of Christ bears the greatest burden of responsibility to do do something and to move forward in this because this is kingdom more than it's anything else. This is the greatest opportunity. There's hurt in the world. We have the answer. Mm-hmm. There's fractions in the world. We have the common denominator. There's a healing that's needed in our land. And the scriptures say, if we humble ourselves and pray, seek his face and turn from our wicked ways, he will hear from heaven, forgive our sin, heal our land. That's my hope. We have the answer. When we have conversations like this, a black man and a white woman, when we can have conversations like this and the world can see that it doesn't matter about race first, what matters is our kingdom connection and we can find common ground there. Now the church can really be the church. Yeah, amen, that's so good. So good. I just want to thank you. There was so much gold and wisdom um, in what you shared with us today. And I just on behalf of everyone that's going to be listening, I just want to say again, thank you so much for taking the time. I know that you are engaged in so many different kingdom initiatives. And, you know, I have from afar watched your leadership and your pastorship, and I've watched your heart and I see how God is using you and working through you and the way that you use your voice and your influence and your platform. I am just always inspired by and in awe of your obedience and your strength and your tenacity. And so I just want to thank you for doing what you do, but more importantly, for taking the time to sit at the table today with us. It has truly been an honor. I I appreciate this. It's great. I'm glad you thought of me. And uh, hopefully when you come back this way, we can catch lunch at Mango Mango and see how things are going, right? Shrimp and grits will be on me, brother. I I received that. (laughs) Thanks for listening to the Table Leadership Podcast. Be sure to check out the show notes for links to the resources that were discussed at the table today and to connect with today's guest. Remember to subscribe to the Table Podcast and follow along on social media at the Table Leadership. Visit thetableleadership.com to learn more about current courses and coaching opportunities. And finally, you can connect with me, your host, at cionedgerton.com or on social media at cionedgerton. I look forward to the next time that you pull up a seat at the table.